Welcome to Vale la Pena, in English that's worth your while. I'm your host, Cynthia Rebus. This is a show where we get to do some grassroots philanthropy together. In all episodes, we'll feature nonprofit organizations engaged in inspiring projects for people, animals, and the environment. Some guests will be representatives of those organizations, and they'll share with us more about initiatives they're working on and ways we can participate. Check the show notes for opportunities to impact these humanitarian causes together. You can find this show through my website at www.rebuslegal.com and on YouTube, Facebook, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Now, please join me for Vale la Pena. Welcome to Vale la Pena. I'm Cynthia Rebus. I'm your host. And our show, for any of you who's new here, is about grassroots philanthropy. And the way we do that is we talk with guests who are up to all kinds of interesting things. And we talk about things that are worth our while, like the show title in Spanish, Vale la Pena, means worth your while in English. And one of these days we'll be syndicated the world over and we'll be doing this in Spanish. But today it's in English. And our topic today is modern slavery or human trafficking. And we have a very special guest tuning in from London. She is Natasha Draycott. She is a barrister, one of the most sought after and well-regarded juniors in the UK bar. She's with five St. Andrews Hill Chambers. And let's bring her on so we can get this going. Hello, Natasha. Hi, Cynthia. How are you? So great to have you here with us. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, these topics are big and it's really fantastic to get the an international perspective on the show here. So you were perfect to do that for us. Now, let's start at the beginning. You're a barrister. We don't use that language here in the U.S. Please tell us, what does that mean? Sure. So I think barristers are involved um, predominantly in courtroom advocacy and litigation. I think they're similar to what you call trial laws or litigators in um, in the U.S., although I think maybe trial litigators and lawyer, trial lawyers in the U.S. maybe um, perform other tasks behind advocacy courtroom, if I'm right, whereas in the U.K. we have Barristers and solicitors and solicitors tend to do more of the um, work, which is not so courtroom based. That's yeah. right. And we do have, I mean, I'm an example um, where I do corporate work. I'm outside general counsel to small to medium companies. A lot of that is transactional work. And then I'm also a trial attorney. I have a I started off as a trial attorney and then I evolved into doing transactional. And then you have trial attorneys here who, um, you know, they interface with the client and they are also doing other things in addition to arguing before the court. And I understand that barristers pretty much are exclusively permitted to argue before your courts. Is that right? 
Yeah, I mean, what you do sounds super impressive because it sounds like you do do all of it, which uh, whereas, yeah, barristers tend to, apart from the advisory work I do, a lot of it, and most days I tend to be in court. Um, I used to do criminal trials, which was quite exciting, um, doing the jury advocacy, which was a great kind of training ground and stuff. But now I do um, extradition, human rights law, public law. And that's not that's not jury based. That, that tends to be in front of judges, high court judges or district judges. Um, so, yeah, but, but predominantly in court most days. So you're in the robe and you're in the peruke, the wig, everything. It, it, Exactly. You've got the, the magistrate's court um, in England. So I'm really in two courts. I'm in the magistrate's court with extradition. And that one is um, a bit more relaxed. So no no robes or gowns in that one, just, just smart attire or whatever. And then we've got the high court or the crown court here. So the high court I go to um, if you're appealing like an extradition case. And then you have, you wear these collars, um, white collars, the wig, which is made of horse hair, and then this, this long gown. Um, and you're going to have the the wig for your entire career. I think my my father, um, my father, my grandfather, they both did law as well. And they, they I think it's better. There's this myth about it holding brain power. So you're going to just keep it for your for the whole for the whole time, which is good because it's quite expensive actually. So I haven't lost mine yet. Um, yeah, family. Like you actually wear the one your grandfather wore. So I don't wear that one. My sisters, my sisters, a lot of uh, my family barristers, one of my sister is, she, uh, my younger sister, so she's got that one. So I think she wears, she wears that one. Um, yeah, so there's a whole sort of attire that you put on um, when you go to court, which is particularly good when you're, when you're quite junior, actually, especially if you're quite nervous, because I think the idea is um, that, you know, whatever race you are or age or, um, you know, that everyone's kind of equal, as it were, in the eyes of the law. And it's it's a good, um, you know, it's it's quite a good mask as well to put on. So you go on, go on, go in and perform, as it were, and then you come out, take it off and go back to normal. So uh, I'm, it's, it's an odd thing. I know they don't have that in the US, I don't think, anything like that. Do you have any props at all or? Well, there is definitely like, people who watch media sometimes think lawyers wear all these super flashy clothes. And even when I watch good legal shows, which of course I love, uh, I'm always amazed at how they dress the women lawyers. Uh, because in real life, it's just not how it goes. For the most part, any really serious case, we still keep it to black, gray, or navy. You know, you, you, you tend to shy away from anything overly flashy. Now, my sisters out there are going to say that's not true and we need to break out of that mold. And yeah, I certainly in certain court appearances, I see some color, but it's not uncommon. I mean, still, there are more men than women who are actually in most any court room that you go to here in the US. Um, so mostly all the men, of course, are just in suits and they really do keep it to black and gray. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, every once in a while, you know, you'll see uh, a little bit of color, but it, the idea is to keep the topics are important. So we wanna keep the, the focus on what it is that we're trying to do. We're serving people and we need that judge to understand us and we don't want our dress to distract from anything right exactly and also if you're if you're you know if you're in a rush and you're you know getting ready in the morning it's quite good just to have a bit of a uniform really you know like going to school i quite like just having black gray it's all quite plain um so yeah we don't have much color here either 
Um, and I think it's also quite useful for the judges actually having their robes in their wig. Because I always think sometimes after they leave court, you know, they've got to go and get on the tube or the train like the rest of us. So probably helps if they don't like bump into the defendant when they're at the tube station. Um, so it's probably quite helpful for them to have a bit of a disguise as well, I would have thought. Sure. Yeah. Well, okay, so, so let's talk a little bit about extradition. That's what you were saying is, a you know, your specialty. And explain to us, what does that mean? So extradition is the process whereby um, one country is surrendering an, an individual to another country, either for prosecution or to serve a sentence for crimes committed in the requesting countries. Um, jurisdiction. So, for example, if I'd um, committed a crime um, in the US, um, uh, murdered someone, committed a fraud, and then I'd fled and come to um, the UK as, for, you know, it's a safe haven, as it were, then my job would be, if you're arrested here, um, to raise um, various arguments, predominantly human rights arguments on your behalf, um, to stop you going back to the US. Uh, and the funny thing is, actually, if you, if you win the case, um, then it's not that you're then um, punished in this country, you're just free and that and that's the end of it. So, um, so for example, with some clients, if they're sought by, I've got a client at the moment sought by uh, Brazil, uh, one of the, the arguments you'd raise in that case, um, he is, is, is gay and the prison conditions in Brazil are horrendous, so you would raise um, human rights arguments to do with prison conditions and you'd get experts in court. Um, and, uh, and sometimes you'd have countries like um, Brazil uh, issue what you call a prison assurance saying, you know, if he goes back, you know, we'll look after him and he'll go to this specific prison. But you often find that those assurances are um, not particularly reliable. So you can uh, raise arguments about that as well. So, yeah, I predominantly defend um, raising those kind of arguments. Also mental health issues. Um, whether people are sought for political reasons, which happens with a lot of countries, particularly with Russia before. I mean, there aren't really any Russian extradition requests now for obvious reasons, but that was always, they always used to issue a lot of requests for, um, prior, they, it would be cloaked as um, uh, them wanting someone back for a crime they've committed, but quite often Putin would want someone back for uh, political reason. So you tend to win, you used to tend to win those cases if you're representing someone sought by Russia. So, so yeah, in, in a nutshell, that's that's what it is. Then it's all a function of treaty, right? In between the two countries. Yeah, that's right. So there's the um, the US UK treaty, which I think I might be wrong about this, but I think it was signed in 2003. And um, in this country, there's been a bit of controversy about that treaty. It's known as being quite a lopsided treaty, weighted in favor of the US, because the um, if uh, we uh, the, there's a requirement for the UK to show an evidential case. Um, whether, whereas there isn't the requirement the other way around. And um, I have a lot of uh, US cases in, in particular. They're probably, that's probably, they're probably the most, yeah, I think out of all my cases, I've got six or seven of those at the moment. And they have um, the power of the US, which is quite unusual to be able to reach out around the world and try and get people back to the US, even when there's a very, very tenuous connection um, with the US. So for example, um, a lot of my clients have never actually set foot in the States. The um, crimes that they're said to have committed are ones that they've committed on, you know, uh, online frauds or, um, uh, yeah, but and, and yet because there's a connection to the US, um, they can uh, issue a extradition request to return them. Um, one quite famous example 
of that is a guy called Gary McKinnon, who um, was autistic. He suffered from Asperger's and he's uh, fought um, uh, extradition to the US for over a decade. And in the end, the Home Secretary here um, decided not to send him back. But he had um, hacked into computer systems at the Pentagon looking for evidence of UFOs. He'd never been to America. Um, and eventually um, this country decided not to send him back. And following that case, there was um, something called the Forum Bar now, where you can be tried here um, for crimes, you know, like that. But generally, in my experience, um, if the US want you back for something like that, even if you've never been there, it is super hard to um, to fight extradition because of the nature of the political relationship between UK and, and the US. Is that why would is that the best reason we have for why it's so lopsided? Why you say you think it's lopsided? Um, I, it's difficult to say to say why 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 um, the history of why that happened or, or why we signed. I don't know in practice if it how much how much difference it makes, but I know that the, that the U.S. have far more far-reaching powers than, than we do tend to 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 get people back. I'd have to look at the statistics, but I think that that we definitely. Um, we send more people back there than, than or I'm trying to think which way around, but yeah, it, it's definitely lopsided, I think, in terms of statistics. Um, I'm not quite sure why it's like that. It's been the source of a lot of controversy here, and it often comes up in, in Parliament as something that should be um, corrected. Um, yeah, simply because you have, a, have I think there was the, the NatWest 3 here, there's, there's a lot of uh, quite well-known cases where where people say, well, why can't they just be tried here? Because there's a connection. You know, the, the offences were committed on U.S. soil, so we should try them before a, a British jury or an English jury. But um, because there's some sort of connection to the U.S., they tend to issue these these warrants. So um, yeah, they're quite interesting cases. Those ones, and I've got I've got a few of them at the moment. And then you were mentioning, I do know that it's a function of treaty, but I understood there are certainly some treaties where even if, for example, the requested person will not be returned to the U.S., they will get, um, they will have to face uh, prosecution in their home country. So generally, generally with extradition, there, that, that, so for example, if I'm, um, uh, Brazilian guy I'm representing at the, the moment who sought for, for uh, murder in Brazil, if we are successful with that case and the prison conditions argument is successful, he won't be punished here. He will just walk free. So um, the only time um, it happens very, very rarely, but if there's a crime for, for, for which someone is sought by the US and there's a connection between the US and the UK, and we can show that there's enough evidence here to try him here, then very rarely um, they will be tried here. But quite often um, with extradition, if you win, the person just walks free and that's the end of it. So, I mean, one country, um, you know, if you if you are going to commit some horrible crime to, to go to as a safe haven is somewhere like Yemen, for example, a country where there is they really don't have extradition treaties with with anyone. And there's a there's a horrible case, actually, um, that's been in the press recently in the UK, a uh, very, very wealthy guy in Yemen uh, who murdered a um, I think she was, she might have been Swedish girl um, after they'd been at a nightclub uh, quite a few years ago now. And he went back to Yemen and he hasn't come back here. And awful for her family because they can't, he just can't be reached. Um, so, yeah. 
And just to spell some of it out for listeners a little bit, as I understand it, some of the reason why lawyers like yourself fight so hard to keep people from um, being tried in the U.S. is our death penalty, right? Well, a lot of countries don't have that. So just the idea of, of that even being a possibility is um, perceived as um, a human rights concern. Yeah, or so you require the the jurisdiction to actually say the prosecution to say they will not uh, seek the death penalty in a particular case. That's exactly right. So it's it's a given with extradition that, that we just wouldn't send anyone back to um, any country that has the death penalty, including the U.S. And, and the U.S. are well aware of that. So it goes without saying that that, that would never be um, a, a, a possible sentence that you'd see in a in a request. Um, with, with US cases, one of one of the um, other real issues is, is the supermax prisons as well, and some of the prison conditions. Um, you know, particularly supermax prisons are a real breach of people's human rights for obvious reasons. Um, I had a client recently where we were quite successful because he was going back to DC jail, which I think received a lot of press in the states because of the Capitol Hill rioters. Some of them were sent there, and that's an absolutely horrendous prison. You know, drugs, corruption um awful awful violence and we had an expert in that case and we were able to show um how bad the conditions were and in the end um there was a sort of concession well not 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 a concession in an obvious way but the prison was changed and so the person i'm representing won't be going back there anymore but i was surprised at how bad some of the prison conditions were and i think that i mean they're terrible in this country too so it's not just certainly not just the us yes we have tremendous issues in terms of our prison conditions and that supermax of course is intended to be maximally punitive and and it's still always so interesting to talk with people around the world because you know figuring out fair punishment figuring out justice figuring out what to do after it's been determined that a crime has been committed uh, those aren't easy issues and we don't all necessarily think the same around the world so like you take the famous case of say roman polanski right um rape he was 43 she was 13 it was um <clears throat> he did serve apparently about 42 days which is a, which is a lot in a lot of rape cases you can't even get that much here in the u.s for lots of reasons but then of course he loses um he goes to to Switzerland and he loses. And then more recently, he comes up in Poland, right? Because he's uh, got citizenship in Poland as well. And the high court there, as I understand it, um, reversed again the appeal to try to get him to the U.S. He's in his 80s now. I don't think he's ever going to get back to the U.S. Um, for that trial. But it's that kind of thing we're we're talking about. That that's exactly right. Yeah, I think he, he that's that that's really accurate. I think he served something like forty days in two days in prison. Then he fled before the um, before the sentencing hearing. And the U.S. have been trying to get him back for for a long time now. And I think it hit it hit the press certainly. I think in, in two thousand three he won um, or he was nominated for an Oscar for the pianist. I remember he certainly wasn't able to go back um, to the Academy Awards for that. And then um, because I think he has dual Polish and French citizenship, and I think France historically don't like extraditing their own citizens. And so, yeah, I think in 2016 or fairly recently, the uh, Polish Supreme Court decided they just weren't going to send him back. Um, but I mean, with his 
career. I mean, he's slightly problematic given that, that he makes movies and he can't go to the US. But as you said, he's in his 80s now and I don't think he'll ever, he'll ever go back. Um, no. But that's a, that's, a, that's a famous case like that. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, uh, the Prince Andrew one was another one recently where there was a lot of talk in the UK about whether he would be extradited, but that was a civil case for which he was sought and you can only be extradited for criminal proceedings. So he wouldn't have gone back either, but there was, you know, there was a lot of interest around, around that. Um, right. He was sued as a uh, woman as uh, the cases in New York and it's civil. So no right of extradition. That's um, exactly right. Yeah. Um, that's that's right. So he, he so he would never have gone back. And then there's the issue maybe of possible immunity as well, which would have been an, an additional thing, um, which might have which might have protected him. But no, you can only you can only be extradited for criminal proceedings, not civil proceedings. So he would have been he would have been okay. Goodness. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's get to this other topic of the day: modern slavery or human trafficking. Talk to us a little bit about. What that means, you know, a lot of times people think, oh, slavery happened a long time ago. No, talk, what, what's happening now? Yeah, so he, um, modern slavery and human trafficking is something I come across quite a lot, in, um, particularly recently in my um, extradition cases. And I think human trafficking and modern slavery is, is really an umbrella term for um, forced labor or, or sex trafficking. And um, it doesn't require movement. So it's not like people smuggling. Um, you can be exploited or, or trafficked or, or, or subject to modern slavery in the town that you were in, that you were born in. Um, it centers really around um, the traffickers and their aim to exploit you and to use, um, you know, enslave you, manipulative practices and deceptive measures um, to, to keep you, um, you know, under their coercive control. So it's, it's different to people smuggling. Um, and I think one of the biggest misconceptions about it is that it happens in sort of poorer countries around the world, where actually it happens in, in I mean, very much uh, in, in, in the UK, uh, in the US, in very wealthy uh, countries in particular, because of, um, because of uh, su supply chains. And because I think rich countries have the, um, the demand and the resources to precipitate it. Um, you know, one, one example being just domestic workers. Um, so, yeah, I come across it quite a bit in um, in, in in extradition cases. Uh, I have um, a client at the moment. I won't I won't go into the details of it, but she, she was um, in in a southern state. Um, she that she was born into. She was trafficked around the U.S. by a white supremacist uh, gang, um, forced to work as a prostitute. Uh, there's evidence we have about uh, judges in this state and police officers being involved as well. Um, so. Uh, horrible horrible but 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 very very difficult to prove and very very difficult to stop her going back because obviously the us have their own conventions in place and they will say in response to my arguments well you know if you send her back we'll look after her but naturally she's terrified of, of going back there um because of what might happen to her if she's released from prison she probably won't serve a very long sentence she's only sought for minor fraud offenses but um it's what will happen to her when she's released from prison which is why she wants to stay in in this country. So uh, the point being that, it, that it's everywhere, it's hidden in plain sight. Right. And in just my prep for this interview, I was looking at some statistics and uh, there isn't a, a one type of victim that it actually affects men, women, uh, people of different socioeconomic uh, backgrounds. I mean, definitely, if we just were to pull out the sex trafficking component, 
something like some crazy high 91% or so affects women and children. But if we include all of um, forced labor, that's, that's a big part of what's involved here. It is definitely happening in the US. In fact, California, I was reading has the highest number of incidents. The US um, Department of Homeland Security has a something called the blue campaign that's really all about um, everything for just helping people learn about it and be able to identify uh, when it's happening so you can report it. Tell us a little bit about what to look for. How do we even know that something may be going on here that's illegal? Yeah, so I think that's that's a great question. I think one of one of the be best ways to try and um, do something do something about this is first of all to to realize it could be you know happening next door to you and that it is is really somewhere something that's hidden in in plain sight. So being familiar with, with spotting the signs, which I've been able to do it with um, victims in the cases I have, is is really uh, useful. I mean, there's really obvious sort of signs like someone you know uh, signs of injury or, or abuse. Um, quite often, um, a lot of victims frequently don't seek help because of uh, language bar barriers, um, fear of law enforcement, fear of their traffickers. Um, so, uh, I mean, often they, they lack, uh, victims lack personal identification documents. One of the first things the traffickers do is take away all of their documents. They lack personal possessions. Um, they tend to avoid eye contact, law enforcement, any sort of social interaction. Um, often responding in manners which we seem sort of rehearsed or, or scripted, um, often appearing perhaps, as I said, abused or, or malnourished. Um, but it's also looking, um, being aware, uh, a lot of victims tend to be in, in certain uh, certain forms of employment. So in, in this country and probably in the US, in agriculture, um, fruit picking, obviously in, um, in the uh, sex industry, um, you know, just being doing aware on a very simple level of where we're buying our clothes, you know, where we're buying our fruit and vegetables for, for, from being familiarizing yourself with supply chains is 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 one thing you can do, certainly um, just becoming more more aware of it, I think. Right. And even in California here, I know they recently passed a law. It's all aimed at trying to get people to not particularly like um, people in the in in hotels and motels. Um, to not turn a blind eye to what they actually see because you know that's all part of even what we're doing here we all need to be talking about these issues raising awareness about these issues being vigilant about what we can all do to to help each other there is a hotline in the show notes we're going to be sure to put um if if you uh need help there's actually a human trafficking hotline number you can call. It's manned 24 seven and um, over 200 languages. So don't let that be a barrier. There's also a text number that we'll give you. You can text and there's also a uh, website we'll give you if you're looking for support. And then there's another number to call if you suspect um, human trafficking and you wanna bring in the federal local law enforcement. So we're gonna provide those resources in the show notes. Talk to us a little bit about the kinds of industries where maybe it's more, you know, kind of the hot spots. So I think, um, 
Well, certainly with um, with with Los Angeles, I think the the reason that that there's so um, that there's so many victims in Los Angeles because it's a it's a top point of entry into the country for victims of slavery and trafficking. I think it's kind of the perfect melting pot. Diverse communities, a sprawling city where it's easier to hide and move victims from from place to place. So it makes it much more difficult for law enforcement to spot um, you know potential. Uh, survivors and the difficult thing also if you're a victim of trafficking and, and you manage to escape you're, you're vulnerable to it again because then you're out again your personal possessions have been taken you don't have any money so it's a horrible sort of vicious um, circle the kind of um, industries I think are well, as you said people um, can become enslaved from making our clothes from serving our food from picking crops working in factories um, working in, in in houses as cooks cleaners and domestic servants, you know, even nannies. Um, so they're the more sort of obvious jobs and obviously as we spoke about, um, particularly in Los Angeles, in Los Angeles the, um, the, there's a lot of sex trafficking as well. And I think all of this got exacerbated um, by the pandemic because um, quite often uh, victims are in debt in some way to their employer or, or in their trafficker, to their trafficker. And I think one of the first things that happens when there's a crisis or a pandemic um, in, is that those in vulnerable parts of the world um, tend to suffer the most because there's the least visibility. So, for example, with COVID, you know, um, there was a need for lots of equipment. So coercive labour practices um, were accelerated um, so people could provide, um, you know, various things that were sought by wealthy uh, countries. And I think we've got to be careful with social media as well. I mean, social media, I think, particularly post-pandemic, um, because it led to the pandemic obviously to an increase in social media and online technology and I think that's social media particularly is used as a tool to entrap people all over the world particularly you know, children teenagers but also I mean um, you know your social media profile can give away a lot about you so if a trafficker um, does their research they can tell if you've got an issue with drugs or with debt mental health issues issues with your family and they can uh, you know use that very slowly to, to groom you um, and then um, they can also op op operate with greater stealth with the internet as well, because uh, as you mentioned hotels earlier, a lot of this stuff, I think particularly in Los Angeles takes place in um, hotels and then they can use technology to market and transfer sexual abuse material to buyers. Um, but I think, as you said, that bill is being passed where hotels are now, I think more liable in Los Angeles if they know that trafficking is taking place in their hotels or motels. They are um, under a duty, I think, to, to report it. I don't know if that's gone through yet, but it's certainly a good idea. Yeah, and I was looking in the US, like in addition to California, like some of the other states where there are lots of these incidents, it has to do with, um, in part, uh, one, all the international influx, right? All the airports, uh, also the borders. Um, so Texas also has a lot of incidents um florida and new york and again it has to do with um just the volumes of people coming in you know um, yeah exactly more so, like in more so than say some of the interior states but you have to be looking at it really everywhere um uh and definitely the main point is what you said earlier that we need definitely here in the u.s to be uh, present to the fact that it is a real problem here in the US. It's not just something happening in, in other countries. And um, there are other resources that we want to make sure people are aware of. There are lots of different other organizations, but a couple I just want to mention are 
There's one called the Deliver Fund, and we're going to, um, in the show notes, link up uh, how you can participate with them. But they actually provide a lot of training for local law enforcement. You know, I myself was looking at how I might be able to participate in getting some of the training because training, even training doctors, training just people to to know what to look for um, is really important. Um, and then another one is Safe Horizon. Um, and that one also, uh, you know, provides all kinds of um, interim facilities to support, really help people get back up on their feet. And, you know, as you mentioned, the age group, a lot of these people are children and it is particularly devastating because the consequences are for life in many cases. Um, and uh, Safe Horizon is another organization that is available to people uh, that are that are looking to try to put their life together and, and get away from whoever the handlers are or whatever the circumstances are that have them um, caught up in in one of these um, improper labor mills or or any of the worlds of sex trafficking and of course all the online crimes that's become just a huge a huge area where even all of like I know our penal codes are always trying to just catch up to the kinds of crimes that people are engaged in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even you just doing this podcast is just hugely important because if you're um, if you're doing this or if you're for a journalist, you know, a podcast um, media, it, it plays a huge part in guiding conversation about trafficking. You know, that's how people find out about it. So. Um, and I think the same if you're if you're if you're a lawyer, if you're able to do some or attorney, some pro bono work, and you come across traffic, trafficking victims, you know, providing any legal support you can is also um, super helpful and something that um, I try and do where where I can. But really spreading um, information, I think, in your in your local community. Um, and as you said, if you think someone's a victim um, of trafficking, calling the national trafficking hotline. Uh, or obviously you can make a donation to lots of the, the brilliant um, organizations that you just uh, mentioned uh, as well. Um, but, but it's difficult because it, it, it is invisible. So the most important thing is to try and help to provide some visibility where we can and to shine you know, light on those really dark corners um, where, where no one can see. Because especially with children, if you're not registered in school, you've got no documents, it's very difficult um, you know, to try and um, track down. And then these traffickers are incredibly you know, using incredibly uh, clever and manipulative methods. I mean, one one thing I think that's quite interesting. I think there's some apps which um, which I read about. I think they they might be. Uh, I don't know if they're international or in the, the US, but one of them is called Traffic Cam, which is quite interesting um, because a lot of the um, sex trafficking takes place in um, in hotel rooms or motel rooms, as we were saying, particularly in California. And I understand that that's not where you can take a photo of your hotel room that you stay in and you can submit it to a database so that when um, the law enforcement are, are looking at uh, videos or pictures of sexual abuse, it helps them to identify the locations or the photos of where the victims, trafficking victims are. Um, like, like we were saying earlier, that there's now onus on the hotel or motel to report, you know, something if they think that something is happening on their premises. But equally, if you're staying in a hotel, you can take a picture and upload it and it will actually make a difference. Something as simple as that. And I think that's called um, Traffic Cam, um, that app. Um, and there's other ones. I think there's Stop App. 
which is an app, um, I think it's one, it's one of the first global apps available and it's in lots of different languages to help report um, any suspicion um, that you might have about human trafficking or modern slavery. Um, and I think there's truckers against trafficking is another one I read about. Um, which is a mobile network of transportation professionals, which assist law enforcement in um, recognizing and reporting traffickers as well. Um, so there's there's lots of things that that can be done, but but really raising awareness. So you doing this podcast is is fantastic. Well, in the world of grassroots philanthropy, it all just starts with we got to start talking about the issues so that we all have a sense of what the problem is, so we can start getting into the solutions. And the solutions are definitely. Uh, varied and many, and the invitation is, of course, the classic donation to some of these fantastic organizations, but also um, volunteer opportunities. And like another one um, is Amnesty International. They do such great work around the world. They have a fantastic article I was looking in there. They made, they are always updating the initiative, so I invite people to check their website, and that will also be included in the show notes. But they have a particularly compelling article on slavery in the U.S. and some of these, um, in particular with regard to labor, they were able to have um, some busts of some of these labor rings. Um, it's all just so very tragic, um, but we need to, you know, be aware of it and be vigilant um, and do what we can, you know, do what we can. That's That's the main thing. And we're all busy. I know for me, this podcast is just such a fulfillment of a dream to be able to, I mean, obviously my law practice is a, um, is a, an expression of service. It's all about service and that's where the fulfillment comes. The podcast is just an extension of that. You know, we kind of get out from doing the more classic legal matters and talking with just real people about real issues and what we can really do. I mean, you shared about volunteering time. I, um, a few years back, volunteered time on the border. I went to um, uh, the border of Texas, where there was just this influx of all these people that are literally walking up from Honduras or wherever with their little child in their arm. Um, you know, they're escaping all kinds of gang violence and other uh, horrors. You just, it's just, completely shocking and um they need legal talent so for all of the lawyers listening um do what you can to volunteer time there's such a need for pro bono work in so many areas of of practice um yeah for, for sure and i think what, what what you were saying as well i think people recognizing the distinct distinction which is happening more and more as opposed to seeing them uh, um these these victims as as criminals because obviously they will obviously through no fault of their own, be involved in criminal industries, seeing the traffickers as the criminals and them as the victim of 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 traffickers of the traffickers rather than you know criminals themselves. And that's something I struggle with a lot with the work I do because they're sought you know by other countries for um, crimes that they're said to have committed. But you know it's an uphill struggle. But to show that, that that yes, they may have committed crimes, but they did so under the coercion of of, of a trafficker, and it's really the trafficker that, that you should go after and not the victim. Of, of trafficking so that distinction uh, as well um that's so, critical uh, yes because apparently at some point the you know you have this victim who then winds up being prosecuted as a criminal and they were sort of people might view 
not only the victim, not only the perpetrators of the crimes, but the victims as all sort of criminals. And that's not the case, right? So now the thinking is a more refined look at it and um, give to, um, you know, even give immunity to persons who've suffered the crime, right? And you're not prosecuting them. You're trying to. Well, ex exactly. They've had that's enough. exactly right. Um, and that's right. why it's they've had enough. They've, they've had enough. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So just because they're involved in some sort of criminal activity doesn't mean that that's something they, they've chosen to do uh, or that there's someone who should be um, you know, punished for that. So yeah, that's a really important distinction. Yes. Okay, well, this is a um, huge topic in a relatively short show. I want to go back to something about your practice that I um, found so interesting. I noticed that you were recently nominated in 2022 as the, um, let me just get the title of this correct, because it's not an award we do here. Um, Crime and Extradition Junior uh, at the Legal 500 UK Bar Awards. Tell us a little bit about, about what that is and, and how, how you got nominated. That's good. Cool. No, I didn't. I didn't win, but it was, I was very. Uh, I was. I was obviously very honoured to be to be nominated. In in um, you must have something similar maybe in the US. You have legal directories, so uh, one of them is called the Legal Five Hundred, and uh, so yeah, so I got that nomination, which was uh, which is which is very nice. <laughs> it's always nice to be nominated. Well, congratulations. Um, thank you. Thank you very much. That's, That's very good. kind. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a really really interesting uh, conversation. I've absolutely loved talking to you. I'm glad we got the chance to do this um, and to raise some awareness. And I hope that everyone looks for the links that you're going to put up um, at the end of the podcast and anyone can make a donation. Fantastic. Um, but even on a small scale, as we talked about, just look at your supply chains, look at where you're buying your clothes, look at where you're buying your food, um, you know, look at your neighbor, look in your community. Um, it, it's everywhere. So um, thank you for raising awareness and for having me today. Thank you. So grateful. And thank you all listeners for tuning in. We hope it's been worth your while. Thank you for tuning in to Vale La Pena. Please join us in making an impact together for people, animals, and the environment. Details in the show notes. You can find this show through my website at www.rebuslegal.com and on YouTube, Facebook, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. I'm your host, Cynthia Rebus, and I welcome and thank you for your feedback, comments, questions, and sharing this show with others. <laughs>